Uh, I'm supposed to introduce the speaker next. I just met him a few minutes ago, and uh, he told me that uh, not to say anything about him. It's, I wanted to know if he wanted me to say anything that, that he would want y'all to know. And uh, he said it just to tell y'all that he was a member in good standing. <clears throat> so I'm going to practice one of the one of our slogans, which is keep it simple. And I'm going to introduce Bob W. from Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm an alcoholic, everybody. It's good to be here and it's good to be sober. Uh, Dick slipped over here and whispered something in my ear. And uh, he reminded me that uh, Don had failed to announce about the tapes that are on sale, and even Don's been talking all week about all this sophisticated equipment that Dick and Sue have over here, and uh, Dick went up to Hinesville, up to the hop shops up there, and bought a new piece of equipment, and he can now get these tapes out about 15 minutes before the speakers get through, so... <laughs> It is good to be here, and it's good to be sober. I'd like to thank the committee for inviting Wani and I down here. I'd like to thank them for the fruit that was sent to the room and the nice accommodations. And Most of all, I'd like to thank you for the beautiful fellowship, the love that you have extended to Wani and I since we have been here. When we arrived and we was here for a day, and I turned around and to show you what this program will do in a person's life. There's a fellow and a gal here that I love very dearly from back in our hometown, and I had no idea they were coming here. And, and these two have heard me talk a number of times. Just two weeks ago, I know they heard me. And they drive down here 800 miles to listen to Juanita and I, and... and to me, that, that's that's love, and I appreciate Tom and Sonny being here. It's been just a delightful weekend we've been able to spend with them. So I said I am an alcoholic. I consider myself a beer alcoholic. I don't know if there's anyone in the room who still may be fooling around with with beer. I, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you at all. I can only tell you about me. I drank beer most of the time, with the exception of the last couple of years. It got a little inconvenient to carry that case of beer around. It was a little easier to carry that half pint. But my last drunk was a beer drunk, so I do consider myself a beer alcoholic. Uh, now, I didn't set out to be an alcoholic either. I, I can't ever remember when I was 13 or 14 years old having visions of drinking for about 15 years and enjoying the AA. I, I never thought about things like this. I thought, I think, like normal kids did. I had visions of dreams of things I wanted to accomplish in my life. And I can look back now and I can see everything that I threw away that was deprived of me was because of my drinking. One of you tried to tell me, the gal that I eventually married and dated all through high school, she tried to tell me when I was 17 years old, when I drank a bottle of beer, what it did to me, how it changed my personality. 
And I told her then she was nuts. She was off her rocker. When I, when I drank a bottle of beer, it changed her personality. She was the one that changed. And, and you know, this is true. This is the reason I believe alcoholism is a family disease. Long before one and I were ever married, my drinking was already beginning to affect her because she knew what was going to happen when I took that first drink, and I didn't know. I thought it was going to be different this time, and I wouldn't get drunk, and I wouldn't get in all the trouble that I normally got into. I believed that every time that I drank, it was going to be different. I had something happen to me that kind of set a pattern in my life. I said I was drunk. I was a beer drinker, and I was, but this time I was drinking beer during the day. I was a pretty good athlete. I was a good baseball player. And we got by with a lot of things that we shouldn't have got by with because I was playing sports. And there was three or four of us boys down in the, at school down in the barler room drinking beer one day with the janitor down there. And the principal walked in and caught us. And we were taken up to the office, and, and I was reprimanded for this. But I got out of it very easily. But that janitor got fired. He lost his job because he allowed us boys to drink down there. And, you know, I picked up on that right away, and I blamed that man for that. I knew it was his fault because he got fired. And, you know, I used that excuse or one just like it for the next 15 years. Any time that anyone pointed a finger at me about drinking, it was never my fault. It was always someone else's fault. When I graduated from high school, I had a splendid opportunity extended to me. I had a chance to play professional baseball, and I lasted three weeks at this. And I was 18 years old, and I convinced myself that I didn't want to play baseball. They didn't want to put up with me the way I was playing and things that I was doing, so they sent me back. And I decided that I really didn't want to play ball. I was thinking about getting married. And uh, you should be dating someone steady when you... You're going to get married at least 30 years ago, you should have been. Uh, uh, and one and I were not hardly even speaking to one another at that time. But I eventually talked one into marrying me. I promised her that once we were married and I had responsibilities, she wouldn't have to worry about this drinking. And you know, one of believed me and I believed me too. I thought I could do it. I thought responsibility would keep me from drinking. But I'm here to tell you tonight, responsibility will not keep this alcoholic from drinking. Because we got married... We had seven children, and one was pregnant with the eighth, and I was still drinking. And to me, that's a little bit of responsibility. I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> we now have nine children. And probably the greatest thing that has happened to me in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous, other than my sobriety, has turned this responsibility of raising the, these children, raising this family, around. It's a responsibility that I now enjoy. And when I was a drinking, it was a responsibility that I hated because it took money to feed these kids and clothe these kids. And I resented every one of them. After one and I got married, drinking really wasn't a problem. Drinking really was never a problem to me. I, I was in AA and I was sober for a couple of weeks before I realized I had a drinking problem. I had other problems. I had a wife problem and kid problem. And most of all, I had a mother-in-law problem. Uh, <laughs> I knew if I could have got them straightened out, everything would have been okay. Uh, this mother-in-law of mine, she tried to help me so much, she almost killed me. That's exactly what happened. And after we first got married, to show you the kind of a woman that she was, she built an apartment for me and allowed me to move in that apartment, never charged me a penny's rent. And after I was there for a little while, I knew, I knew why. 
you know, she had built it right next door to where she lived. And she was over telling me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And as the kids began to come along, she was over beginning to take care of them and doing things for them. And I began to resent her a little bit. And eventually that resentment turned to hatred. And I wound up almost killing her one night. Uh, You know, as I said, I really never thought I was an alcoholic. I never thought there was anything wrong with the way that I was drinking. But as my drinking progressed, one had begun to talk to me a lot about my drinking. And this mother-in-law began to talk to me about my drinking. And to show you what a nut I was, uh, I worked for, at this time, for a man who I think was an alcoholic. And I saw what alcohol had done in his life. I saw him drink whiskey all day long, and many times at 5 o'clock meeting, I used to have to haul him home and dump him in the living room. And I swore that this would never happen in my life. You know, as things go along, the picture changes very easily. I left that company and went with another company, and I began traveling. And I came up with a brilliant idea that it's foolish to work to 5 o'clock every night. And... uh I'd begin to quit work at 4 o'clock, and I might as well have me a bottle of beer, and it wasn't too much longer, and it was 3.30 and 3 o'clock. Within a couple of years, I found myself drinking at lunchtime. And I swore that this would never happen in my life. But I was always turning it around and make it come out okay, because I was, I was with a customer, and I said, if I want to sell him anything, you know, I have to do what he wants to do. And I know tonight that isn't true. This man did not want to drink. I was the one that was insisting on drinking. I spent a couple of years with that company, and... This mother-in-law of mine was in the real estate business, and she'd been very successful in it. And my mother-in-law and I talked about going into business together. And this is one time Wani and I sat down and talked about something. Wani said, you could never make it work going, going into business with someone that you hate. But, you know, I was interested in one thing at the time I'd got Almighty Dollar. I knew with money in my pocket I could buy happiness and peace of mind and serenity love of my wife and love of my children and respect of everybody in the community. I knew I could do this with money in my pocket. I'm here to tell you tonight, this alcoholic could not do it with money in his pocket. We went into business together, and it was a very successful business for a couple of years. Uh, I specialized in selling taverns when I went into the real estate business. It seemed to be the thing I knew best. And and, and I've I done a good job, but really I was getting nowhere fast. Uh, I eventually had to sell this business to my mother-in-law. Uh, but shortly before I sold this business to her and show you what a nut I was, we were talking one time about building a new office. And we was working out of my mother-in-law's house. She had a big front porch across to her house. It was an old house. and uh, We said someday we're going to build a new office there. And that really was all was said about it. And she took them a, made a mistake of taking a vacation. It was going to be gone about eight weeks. And... She'd no more and pulled out the driveway, and I decided now's a good time to build that office. She's gone. And we got out a bulldozer and pushed the front porch off my mother-in-law's house and, and built an office while she was gone. And, man, when she got back and seen that, it was it was hell around there for a while, I'll tell you. And I eventually had to sell that business to my mother-in-law when I was 25 years old when this took place. And I never thought too much about this. I had visions of what was going to happen. I was going to sell this business to my mother-in-law, and uh, I'd be able to sit down at that tavern and play pinochle all day and drink my beer, and when wanted to come in and wanted ten bucks for buy the kids some groceries, I could whip out that checkbook and give her ten dollars and get her off my back, you know. And I thought everything would, would be fine. So 
We went in the attorney's office that day, and I, I signed some paper and sold her that half the business, and they got the checkbook out and paid everybody off what we owed, and then they wrote me a check for my half the business. What was left was $7.85. <laughs> you don't get very drunk on $7.85, I'll tell you. But, you know, I never, ever stopped long enough to think whether drinking had anything to do with this. Alcohol did not allow me to think that way. Alcohol told me that day that mother-in-law stole that business from me, and I was going to get even with her. I was going to show her. I was always showing people something. It was about this time Juanita was talking to me about how the drinking was beginning to affect his family, what it was doing to these kids. And I tried many, many times to see if my drinking uh, was affecting my kids, and and I guess I took that inventory always at the wrong time on Monday morning after an extremely bad weekend. I'd pull myself into that bathroom and I'd stare into that mirror with those bloodshot eyes. My face would all be red and swollen. I'd get the dry heat and I'd hang my head in that commode. And I'd think about what one had been saying to me and I always come up with the same thing. I don't know what she's complaining about. You know, these kids got a roof over their head and their shoes on their feet and there's food on the table. I don't know what she's talking about. You know, I'm the one that has to go out here and go to work today and earn a few bucks so these kids have got these nice things. But now I can look back tonight and I know what one he was talking about. I know how this drinking affected these kids. I can remember many times pulling into that driveway and I'd see those two oldest daughters of mine now coming out that kitchen door and across the back porch and skipping down the sidewalk to meet Dad and he got off from work. And then I'd open that car door and I'd stumble up that driveway. Those two little kids would just look at their drunken father. I'd see that smile drop off of their face and little heads would hang. They'd walk back in the house, get away from their drunken father. You know, I never want to have to go through that again, and I don't, as long as I stay close to this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. In almost 23 years now, my children have not had to be ashamed of me and hang their heads to get away from me. Now, to me, that's a fringe benefit that's come my way in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can remember many times... Coming home maybe at 10.30 at night and wanting to have these kids put to bed. And I, I used to raise all kind of cane about this. Whoever heard of kids going to bed, we've got to kiss Dad goodnight. And, you know, I love to do things for my kids. And I don't know if, if y'all ever done anything nice for your kids or not when you was drinking. But I can honestly tell you tonight, i never done anything for my children because I loved them. I've done many things for my children, but always had a motive behind it. I wanted them to get on my side and tell their mother what a nice guy I was and she'd get on my back and let me alone. And so I used to come home many times and I'd get these kids out of bed. I'd sit them down in front of that idiot box. I'd turn that idiot box on. I'd pop them some popcorn, you know, and I'd open me a couple beers. I'd drink them and I'd sit down and pass out. And one day I'd get up and put the kids back to bed again. Yet the next day I, could, I always said this drinking's not hurting anyone but me. I remember many times coming in there on Friday evening, and these kids' grandmother would be over at the house. And, you know, she loved to do things for her grandchildren. She loved to come over and pick them up and take them over to her house for the weekend and maybe take them out and buy them an ice cream or just take them out to the show, you know. And, you know, sometimes I'd let her have them and sometimes I wouldn't, depending on what kind of a mood I was in. Many times I'd come in there and she'd be gathering these kids up, you know. I'd say, what are you doing? She'd say, I'm taking them over to the house for the weekend. Oh, no, you're not. You get the hell out of here and you stay out. I wonder what these kids must have thought when they saw their drunken father run their grandmother out of the house. And, you know, when I'd come to the next day, I'd begin to patch all the pieces back together again. 
I never once ever thought about how I embarrassed my children, what a fool I made of myself, how I embarrassed my mother-in-law. I always thought about, I turned the thing around and I convinced myself, well, this this is my mother-in-law's fault. She just had the decency to pick up that telephone and call me and got permission. You know, I'd have said yes and everything had been fine, so it was her fault. I remember shortly before I come in, I was down at the tavern one day, and some drunk come in there with a bunch of turtles. And we cleaned turtles and cooked turtle soup all day. And about 11.30 that night, I got to think about my kids. I didn't know if one had fed them that day or not. I thought, I better take these kids something home to eat, you know. And I took his soup home, and this, this was a big deal, cooking that soup that day. And I was pretty drunk that night. And it was about 11.30, and I got these kids out of bed, and I them down at that kitchen table and I put that soup on and I heated that stuff up and I can smell it now and I can't stand the smell of turtle soup. It, uh, it just it turns my stomach, I tell you. Uh, I poured, poured that soup out in front of those kids and I said, now eat. And they didn't want to eat and I don't blame them. And I got to slapping the two old ones around that night and I said, you're going to eat. I don't care what your mother says. And I made them eat that soup that night, and they got sick and threw up, and it was a mess that night. And you know, when I come to the next day, I begin to patch all the pieces back together again. I never once ever thought about how I humiliated my children. The only thing I thought of that next morning is it was Juanita's fault. If she'd kept her big mouth shut, the kids would have loved that soup, and everything had been fine. But I know tonight that that isn't true, because Juanita was not even out in the kitchen that night. Uh... Also, during this period of time, one of them was talking to me quite often about divorce. And I don't know if y'all ever talked about divorce around your house or not, but I never did get excited about divorce. Because uh, we talked about divorce like everybody else talks about the weather. We discussed it every week or so. And, uh, and you know, we had this time, I think, six children, and, and, and I knew she couldn't divorce me. And uh, the deputy sheriff knocked on my door one Friday night, and gave me some papers, and, and I was a smart aleck drunk. Uh, I knew him real well, and I just tore him up and gave him back to him, you know, showing him how smart I was. And he said, Bob, you better read these tomorrow and you sober up. And uh, I read them the next morning, and I remember reading down through there, and she wanted some alimony. I can't remember how much alimony Juanita wanted. But I read on down in there, she wanted $40 a week child support. And I wasn't too drunk to multiply six times 40. I could do that, and I knew I couldn't afford a divorce. So... I went down and talked to the father what I should do with this nutty woman I'm living with. I thought my wife was completely off her rocker. I, I was working two jobs at this time, and we had a, a house that wasn't a home. It was just a house is all that it was, and we had a couple automobiles. And, and I thought things were really just going great. And I was telling father all about this, and, you know, father agreed with me. And I know tonight why father agreed with me. Father drank the same way that I did. He had a problem, too. And... Uh, but he called Juanita that afternoon and said, Get down here, young lady. I want to talk to you. And I thought, Man, this is going to work out just great. You know, I've got him on my side now. But you know, when Juanita got down there, she told a little different story than what I'd been telling Father. And, and, and I guess I had a conscience. I, I don't know what it was. But I listened to what she said. And somewhere that day, I wound up taking a pledge. I don't know if there's anyone in here you've ever been dry on a pledge or not, but if you don't, if you haven't, you don't have to be. Stay here in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous and do it the easy and the comfortable way, because I have tried it both ways. And I'll guarantee you, it's a whole lot easier in this program of AA. 
I thought all I'd do was just sign that pledge and I wouldn't drink for a year. It's that simple. Put the plug in the jug and you leave it in there and that's all there is to it. But you know, I didn't know about the terrible agony as I go through of each and every day of wanting to drink and not being able to drink. I was miserable when I was on that pledge. And boy, I made that family suffer. Man, they walked around on eggshells. They, did, they didn't dare raise their voice to me. I can remember many times pulling in that driveway. Wanted to get the kids gathered up and tell them to get back in their bedroom and stay away. Don't say anything to upset Daddy now. You know, that's no way to live. As I said, that was just a house that we were living in. It wasn't a home. I can remember any time that anything happened, Wanted would try and quiet things over and smooth things out. Because every time, you know, something happened, I'd give him that look. You better straighten up, you know, I'm show you I'm going out here and get drunk. And I guess probably the worst thing at all would be when I'd wake up in the morning. I'd roll over and look at Juanita, and she'd be laying there next to me. And I started every day this way for six months. I, I didn't say this out loud where she could hear me, but I'd look at her each morning, and I'd think, you know, damn you, I hate you. You know, i got to get up, and i got to go to work today. And i got to go out here, and i got to face all these people. And I can't drink because you've got that divorce hanging over my head. You know, that's a tough way to live. I lasted six months that way, and one of you said many times in the program of Al-Anon, thank God that I did go out and got get drunk because it relieved all that pressure that we'd been living under. It was shortly after this that I was introduced to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My brother plays an important part in my being here. My brother wound up in Skid Row. He lost everything that he held near and dear to him. I saw it all go down the drain. He got in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and right away I thought it was a great thing for him because he needed help. And it wasn't long, and Norman was beginning to stop by and tell me about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And God had his hands on Norman's shoulder when Norman talked with me about this program of AA. My brother and I were very close back when we were both drinking and then after AA. And Norman knew me very well. He knew if he once would have ever said to me, Bob, don't you think you have a drinking problem? Don't you think you ought to go to AA? I would have told him what he could have done with his AA, and I would have drank myself to death, showing him and he couldn't talk to me that way. But God had his hands on Norman's shoulder and he talked with me. Norman always talked about what this program was doing in his life. You know, I was attracted to it. I listened to him because I thought it was a great thing for him. All during this time, Juanita was not talking to me about this. She was calling me an alcoholic and saying I should go to AA. And to show you how rum-dumb I was, I was tricked into my first AA meeting. And I don't think it makes any difference at all why you're here. I think the important thing is that you are here. And to show you how rum-dumb I was, my brother was sober eight months. And he and I were going fishing. And Juanita said, you know, you may say something that would cause Norman to get drunk. And she said, you should go to AA and find out something about this alcoholism, and maybe you can help Norman. And I said, well, if I help him, I'll be glad to go. And that's the reason I made my first AA meeting. And, you know, you've you got to be pretty sick to fall for something like that. So I went over to my first AA meeting, and I'll never forget that meeting. I didn't drink that day. I'll never forget getting back that night. One of us waiting me at the kitchen door with open arms. You know, she thought he's been to AA and he's been cured and he'll never drink again. And, and I walked up to her that night and shook my finger in her face. I said, "You'll never take another night out of my life." And I meant that, and I went out and got drunk. 
But you know, she still had that divorce hanging over my head. And I went back to AA on Friday night. I was around AA for a few meetings, and I heard a lot of things that had happened to a lot of people. And right away I made my mind up that I was not an alcoholic, and I was going to show you people that I was different. I, I had too much going for me. I was 28 years old when I made my first AA meeting, and I owned my own business. I had a couple automobiles. I had a little money in the bank. I had a family. Now, if anyone would have told me, Bob, in 18 months, all of this is going to be gone, even your children, your mother-in-law, and your wife, I'd have said, you're nuts. I'd quit drinking first before I let any one of these things happen. See, I, I didn't know anything about alcoholism, and all these things did happen. So I said, I could have proved to anyone that I was not an alcoholic. And thank God tonight, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. You know, I do just be myself. I'm Bob Wessel. I'm an alcoholic just like I am. If you like me, that's fine. If you don't like me, that's your problem. Because I'm pretty comfortable the way things are in my life. I set out to prove that I was not an alcoholic. And a lot of things happened. The important thing that happened after a few meetings, my wife was introduced to the program of Al-Anon. And man, I fell in love with the program of Al-Anon. That's the greatest thing this happened since AA, I'll guarantee you that. And I fell in love with Al-Anon. Man, I, I used to come home, you know, and, and all the things that happened. And those, those of you who heard Juanita talk this morning, you know why I drank. I, I really don't need to tell you why I drank. And she got in this thing called Al-Anon, and she changed. And I'd come home drunk, and she'd say, Hi, did you have a nice day? And I thought, man, this, this program getting this gal straightened out. And, you know, I, I, as I told you, I thought she was off her rocker. And I'd come home drunk and I'd babysit so she'd get that out on me because she needed help. And thank God for the help that she found in that program. I think she went a little far with some of the things that she did, but thank God that she did them. Uh, and to give you an example of some of the things that Juanita did, she told you about one of them this morning, but I'm going to tell it again. This woman from this department store used to call quite often wanting money. They seem to do that when you, you got all these kids and you keep charging there, and especially if you don't send them any money every month. And one of used to lie for me many times, yeah, but not after Alan on. She'd say, Mrs. Snyder, I don't handle the bills any longer. You have to talk to Mr. Wessel about this. And you'd catch him down at Wilford's Tavern, the number so-and-so. Hell, why don't they give him the number? And, and, and I'd be sitting down there at that tavern, acting like a big shot, drinking with my buddies, have a couple bucks thrown up on the bar. And you try to explain to some credit manager why you can't send him $10 and stuff like a big shot, it gets to be a problem, I'll tell you. Uh, this first job that I had, I spent 11 years with that company. And my bosses called me one Monday morning, and I knew one of them would lie for me and tell him that I'd already left town. But not that morning. She said, he's still drunk. He's laying here in bed. You want to talk to him and hand me the telephone? And, and you try to explain that after your wife says this. And you can't explain things like that. But thank God one had done these things. Because it's the very thing that woke me up and made me face up to the responsibilities my drinking was creating. If my mother-in-law and my wife were still covering up for me today, I'd still be out there drinking or I'd be dead in one. Because I had no reason to sober up whatsoever before she was introduced to the program of Al-Anon. As I told you, when I was introduced to the program of AA, 
I thought I had a mother-in-law and a wife and a kid problem. If I could have got them straightened out, everything would have been okay. I did not realize I had a drinking problem. I guess the only thing I've done right in those 18 months around the program of AA is I kept going to meetings. I made a lot of AA meetings drinking. I don't know if there's anyone in the room this evening who may have had to take a drink to walk through those doors. If you did, I understand because I've been there. I don't say it's the right thing to do. If you had to do it, I understand it because I've been there. I did not have the courage to go through those doors without a drink. You know, after I was around AA for a little while, I heard about that vodka. Uh, as I told you, I was a beer drinker, and it's, it's a little tough to hide that case of beer. And I, So I got on that vodka, and I, I heard you couldn't smell it, but I didn't want to take a chance of whether you could smell it or not. So I drank vodka all day, and then when I went to AA meetings at night, I chewed florets. And I didn't just chew one or two pieces. I dumped that whole pack in my mouth. And my sponsor says, and I walked in that door, and you saw that green foam run down my mouth. You knew what kind of shape I was in. And... and and that's the way I was for 18 months. I had no idea that anyone knew that I was drinking. I will never forget this gal, Lil Nyla. Now, that's the Pleasure Ridge group that I went to. Every Friday night when I was out there, that gal would get me off in the corner after the meeting, and she'd put her arms around me. And she'd give me a hug, and she'd say, Bob, we need you here. Please come back. This program will work for you. Thank God for gals like Lil. Thank God Lil never said, Bob, you know you've been drinking. When you really make your mind up, you want sobriety, won't you come back to AA then? Because I would have told Lil what she could have done with her AA. And I would have drank myself to death. So I say to you tonight, if there's anyone out there who had to take a drink to come through those doors, I understand, and you have faith, and keep coming back, because this program will work for you, too. I don't think you're any different than what I am. During those 18 months, a lot of things happened. I lost that business that I was in. I'd gone into another business, but this time I'd went into the insurance business, and my mother-in-law had to bail me out of that. I lost that house that I was living in, and that's all it was was a house. I, and uh, But this time I, I hated my mother-in-law with a passion. I, I just, her and I, we couldn't agree on anything. But I talked to her into buying a house, and we'd all move in together. Now, you've you got to be a little off your rocker and move in someone you hate. But I thought I could make this thing work. You know, my mother-in-law had been taking care of me and my family and paying the bills for most of the years, the last three or four years. And I thought, you know, if I move in with her and get move in the same house with her, hell, she can just pay them all. I, I thought this thing would work real well. Uh, it would give me a little more money to, to drink on and, and take care of things. And, and, and I thought it would work. But that didn't last very long. Uh, I lost that job. I spent 11 years with that company, and to me, this is chronic alcoholism when I lost that job. I'd been gone for a couple of weeks, and my boss's brother, who is in AA, and he's sober today, thank God, he called me one Friday night and told me I'd been fired. He wanted to know where I'd been. I told him I'd been working, you know, all week, and he knew better. He knew where I'd been. And I got to thinking about my responsibilities that night with these seven children. I got to thinking my, about my responsibilities as a husband. And I was crying crocodile tears with George that night. And George said, let me call my brother and see what I can do for you, see if I can work this thing out for you. It wasn't 15 minutes, and George called me back and said, Bob, everything's fine. You come on into work Monday morning. 
I got it all straightened out for you. And I thanked George, and I told him he'd never have to worry about me taking another drink. Now, George should have known I was lying, because never is a long time. Thank God we got one day at a time in this program of AA. You know, I didn't drink anything that weekend. I was too scared to drink. I started in the office Monday morning, and I got about halfway in there, and I got to thinking. I heard Carolyn talking about thinking. Thinking gets her in trouble, too, and it does me, too. But I got to thinking about what my boss was going to say to me. I knew he was going to have a whole list of rules and regulations I had to abide by, and I couldn't face him without a drink. And somewhere along the line that morning, I stopped in and I had a drink. I don't know how much I drank that morning, but later that morning I walked into his office, walked up to his desk, and I took the keys out of my pocket, and I threw them on his desk, and I said, you keep your damn job, I don't need it. I turned around and walked out, and he hadn't opened his mouth. Now, to me, that is chronic alcoholism. Because when I was dry that Friday night, I was concerned about these seven children. And when I put alcohol in my system, I was no longer concerned about these seven children. I didn't want it to be that way, just just the way that it was. And I had to consider these seven children and this wife secondary that day. Because the most important thing in my life that day was another drink. So I just quit that job so I could drink that day. I was around AA for, as I said, about 18 months, and, and I would do anything to try and put the blame on Juanita. You know, I, I remember, boys, I'm trying to have been around AA about a year, and, and I remember laying in the, in the yard one night and passed out, and I remember coming to a little bit. And I looked up, and there she was pulling out the driveway. And I knew where she was going. She was going over to that Al-Anon meeting. She was going to go over and tell everybody, you know, that's drunk again and what a mess I was. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass her. I'm going to, I'm going to show her. I pulled myself together that night and I run in the house and I showered and shaved and run over and I sat on that front row that night at that AA meeting. She was upstairs at that Al-Anon meeting. I know she was telling everybody, you know, how drunk I was. And then when she come down and seen me there, they'd know what a nut she was. You know, I would go to any extremes to put the blame on someone else. I remember this last drunk. As I said, I set out to prove to you people that I was different. And I was not an alcoholic, and I really didn't think that I was. But after I was around for about 18 months, this mother-in-law of mine I really began to take over and was telling me what I could do and what I couldn't do, and I was resenting her, and, and, and I really hated her with a passion by this time. And I was gone once again for a couple of weeks, and I come home one Friday morning, and I hadn't drank anything yet that morning, and she told me I'd better get out of there and stay out. She had a peace bond or bench warrant or something out for me. She told me I wasn't welcome there. I know that. And I went over to the tavern and said what to do that day. I drank beer that entire day. About 7.30 that night, I decided she can't lock me out of my house. Who she thinks she is? So I went over. My key still didn't fit, so I just knocked the door down to show her how tough I was. I can vaguely remember her ordering me off. 
said, if I didn't leave, she's going to call the police and have me arrested. And I said, that's a fine thing to do, have your son-in-law arrested. Who's going to feed these seven kids? And she let me know who had been feeding them the last three or four years, I'll tell you. And she called the police on me that night. And I decided I'm going to show her. I went down the basement, got my shotgun. It's a 12-gauge Browning automatic. And I remember picking up two full boxes of shells. I remember putting three shells in that gun. I hear that chamber slamming right now. The next thing I vaguely remember as I stumbled up that stairway is kids running and screaming to get away from their drunken maniac father. I was waving that gun around looking for that mother-in-law. I can remember this oldest daughter of mine gathering her little brothers and sisters up but I didn't kill them that night. And it's a miracle that gun didn't go off that night because I was just, I was just in a drunken rage that night. I stumbled on up the stairway that night and went up into the attic and I blocked out or passed out. And you know, I was at peace with the world up there. There was no one up there bothering me. And I'm sure every alcoholic in this room has felt that way a thousand times in your life. You know, if I could just get these people out of my life, everything's going to be okay and I can get all this straightened out and everything will be all right. And the next thing I can vaguely remember was a man in a blue uniform. And that's all I remember about this. When he said, I told that man I was going to blow his head off that shotgun if he come up that stairway. And, of course, he couldn't see me up there. And the thing he didn't know, I couldn't see him either, really. But he didn't know that. And they called out the right squad that night. And I didn't know any of this was going on. They had searchlights on the building, and policemen were out there with tear gas guns, and they was going to get the drunk out of the attic that night. And the only reason they didn't is because they did not know where my children were. A lot of miracles began to take place that night. My wife called AA for me that night. I hear it said many, many times around this program we shouldn't go into the alcoholic cause. Thank God there's some people at the Pleasure Ridge group that don't believe that. Because when one A called that night, they came over to that meeting. And there was a fellow at the meeting that night, Father McDonald, a boy I played ball with, went to school with. He'd gone in the priesthood. And to my knowledge, that's the first AA meeting he has ever been to, and it's the last AA meeting he has ever been to. But he was there that night. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's a miracle he was there that night. The ladies of the church happened to be meeting that night, and the Alanons had to meet in another room, and that is the only reason they heard the phone ring that night. I don't think these are coincidences. My brother was at the meeting. Father Mike come over and two other members of AA. They talked to each police in the leaving. They come up and I gave them the shotgun. They took me out and began to pour a little coffee down me and I began to come to a little bit. And right away I went right back to that same old way of thinking. You know, this wasn't my fault this happened. This was my mother-in-law's fault. For a big mouth shut, none of this would have happened. She's the one called the police. So it was her fault. These AA people convinced me that I was in trouble. And we've got a hospital up there at the detox center called Our Lady of Peace and I didn't know it was a detox center they told me it's like a hotel it's like a country club out there on the hill and they said Bob you ought to go out there for one night anyway so I agreed to go for one night and I went down the next morning to check out that place and I found out you don't check out that place the doors are locked out there <laughs> and man I, I resented that and I was going to get even with those guys but God works in strange ways in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous I did not get any help from that hospital, but it was my three drinking buddies that really gave me help. 
I run the psychiatrist out of the room, told him what he could do with his book. And I'm not at all doubting the medical profession. This man was a good psychiatrist and could have helped me if we would give him a chance. And to show you I wasn't looking for help, I sat in that hospital in the dark. I wouldn't burn their electricity. I was going to tell them you can't help me. And you know, with an attitude like that, you shouldn't get any help. But I said, God works in strange ways in this program. A lot of AA people come to that hospital to see me. And I've been around AA for about 18 months for this time, or one is just two years, and she's probably right. I lose all track of time. I can't even keep up with time when I'm sober. I know I couldn't when I was drunk. But uh, these AA people come to the hospital to see me, and I lied to every one of them. I've been around long enough that I knew what to say to them. And I'll never forget my sponsor coming in that night, that Saturday night, and he had to flip that light on to see me, you know, and he had a few choice words to say. And I can't repeat what my sponsor said that night. It's not very nice. But, you know, I listened to Bill that night. And I told Bill I was coming back to AA. I knew what he wanted to hear. I told my brother and I told all these other AA people, and I'm coming back. I know where the answer is, you know. I've seen the light. And I got out of that hospital. They only kept me three days because I would not let them help me. But I said, God works in strange ways in this program. When I got out of the hospital, I began to wonder, what happened to my three drinking buddies? Why didn't they come to the hospital to see me? And I know tonight why they didn't come to the hospital to see me. If they had, it would have given me the encouragement that I needed to go out and take another drink. And I can do that. That's no problem at all. But I don't know if i got another recovery or not. And that's terribly important to me. These three drinking buddies of mine... One of them is now in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's sober. The other boy drank himself to death. He was a millionaire. And I wound up making a 12-step call on the Salvation Army. And he died there because he refused to accept the fact that he was an alcoholic and he refused help. The other boy is still drinking today and just almost dead. And yet this program was given to me for some reason. Because these three drinking buddies did not come to the hospital to see me. It made me realize that the people in AA care. They come to the hospital to see me, and that's the thing really woke me up. And I went in the next day when I got out of that hospital, I talked to my sponsor. And Bill told me a lot about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that day. He told me about honesty and gratitude and open-mindedness, willingness, action. He told, told me about a higher power he calls God, and I do too. And Bill said, Bob, look what's happened to you over the past 18 months, and you've been running things. You know, and I looked back, and I wasn't a very pretty picture. And Bill said, won't you try it our way and see if you can't find something? And that's how I come to, a, to AA on the 9th of November, 1962, and I've not had a drink of alcohol since that time. Now, I don't know if it was six weeks or six months or when it was, really, but I got the desire that I like being sober. You know, I have that same feeling and that same desire tonight. I like being sober. I don't see anything in the world wrong with sobriety. I have yet to run into anyone who could tell me anything wrong with being sober. Now, it's, not, it's not been a, an easy road. It's been a tough road along the way. But a lot of things have happened. And thank God my sponsor told me about this. My wife told me a thousand times, if I just stopped drinking, everything would be fine. My sponsor didn't tell me that. 
He said, things are going to be better, Bob, but you're going to need a lot of help along the way. He said, you're going to need the strength of a group. You're going to need the strength of all these AA people, and you're going to need a higher power to fall back on. And thank God Bill told me that. I had a great sponsor. I'd like to talk a little bit about sponsorship. My sponsor celebrated 38 years of sobriety in September. For the last year, he was he was really too sick to get out of bed. He he and I made a lot of meetings together. He was in his wheelchair. He took his oxygen with him. I picked him up, and we went to meetings. And in October, Bill died. And I lost, I guess, the greatest friend I've ever had. And he's been hard to replace. Bill and I talked. Bill had cancer. He knew he was dying. Bill and I talked about a new sponsor. He told me I wanted to get a new sponsor. He reminded me how important a sponsor was. And I haven't done that yet, and that's been bothering me. I've picked out a few, but none of them has been as good as Bill. And they're not supposed to be. There's they're just no, no one can take Bill's place. Bill told me that. He talked about it. I have picked out a man. I haven't asked him yet. I'm going to. And I'm going to get me a sponsor. Because I can look back over the last 23 years. And I can appreciate so much that my sponsor shared with me. And you know... Sponsors are important. If you're new, get your sponsor. My sponsor also told me many, many times how I shared with him. And you know, I used to all the time go in and dump my garbage on my sponsor. And Bill and I become so close, he began to talk to me. And we became great friends. And I guess maybe in, in a way I was his sponsor too. And we shared a lot together. Bill told me many, many times that my talking with him helped him. So I have to get me another sponsor. As I told you, my wife told me if I just stopped drinking, everything would be fine. And But Bill didn't tell me that. And what a great guy he was. I remember when I was sober three and a half years, my father had died. My father had cancer. And I was down at the funeral home and I was all down the dumps and feeling sorry that my dad had to die. Bill walked in that afternoon, stuck that big paw of his out, and shook my hand. He said, Bob, you've got a lot to be grateful for. He said, you know, you've been sober three and a half years because of this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Look what you and your dad has been able to share because of this program. You know, I was able to take that situation and turn it around. I had something to be grateful for. You know, it, it's hard for me to talk about gratitude, and it's hard for me to talk about love. I can tell you that I'm grateful. I can tell you that I love you, but I think this is something that human beings can see and feel in one another. This is a mother-in-law of mine that, that almost killed. On my fifth AA birthday, she walked out in the office and she said, Bob, you know you've been sober five years now. I think you can handle your half of the business again. She had the papers all made out. She never asked me for a penny. 
She laid those papers on my desk. She said, you've got half the business again. I jumped up and put my arms around her and kissed her and hugged her and thanked her for that. And she no more than turned her back. And I began to think, well, what the hell does she have to wait five years to do this for? <laughs> and, uh, and I know... I know tonight why she had to wait five years, because I know me very well. You know, if she'd been out there, you know, in one year or six months, I'd have been thinking, you know, she can't run this place without me. Look how important I am. You know, I'd been out celebrating and I'd been drunk. And I found in this program of AA the things that I have to work for and the things that I have to get out there and work and earn and scratch for are the things that I hold nearest and dearest to my heart. You know, if things come real easy, you know, anybody can get them. But, you know, when you got to get in there and you got to work for them, and little things come your way, and maybe somewhere along the line some big things will come your way. It makes it all worthwhile. I remember one day I was in this program about six years, and she told you a little bit about our unhappiness in this program. I'd like to talk a little bit about depression tonight, because I was one in the first six years in this program. I had a lot of depressions, and I know tonight why I had depressions. You know, Juanita was, was a gal that I think has personality just, just bubbling out of her pores. She can walk into a room and she can meet people and she can put her arms around them and kiss them and hug them and you'd think she'd known them for a hundred years. And you know, I called my wife a big phony. Because we would go to meetings, we'd argue, we was always arguing about money and things and about the children. And, We'd go to an AA meeting and she could turn this on. And I'd sit on that back row, back row with my arms folded, being miserable, and saying, keep me sober, I dare you, you can't do it. And I was running her program, and I think maybe she was running mine. I think one of them wanted me to be a little bit about like she was. Because I, I used to be afraid of people. I didn't want, I didn't want any of these men hugging me, didn't want any of these women hugging me. And, you know, after we was in this program about six years, we sat down and we talked about what was happening in our lives. I think that's the reason I was so depressed, because I was trying to be something that one of wanted me to be. And I don't have to be like she wants me to be. You know, I have to just be myself just like I am, and that's okay. But you know, since we have talked about this and we released one another, and we're both working our programs together, but we're working our programs as an individual. We begin to share together. And this thing has just come together. And I think I'm almost the kind of a guy that she wanted me to be to begin with. And I have the ability now to be able to feel free and to walk into a room and put my arms around someone and hug them and kiss them. When I first come to this program, I was scared to death of that. This mother-in-law of mine that almost killed she come to every one of my AA birthdays, up to my 13th AA birthday when she died. And one and I was holding her hand when she died. And the last five years, this woman was too sick to get out of bed. And she wanted to come over to that group to be with me on my AA birthday. And I'll guarantee you, if I'd have kept drinking, she wouldn't have come to the funeral home to see me. That's how she felt about me. And I wouldn't have wanted her there either. That's how I felt about her. But... This program put our lives back together. And many, many times after the program of AA come into our lives, 
This mother-in-law would come up to me and she'd put her arms around me and kiss me and say, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone for six or eight weeks. And she didn't worry about me building an office or tearing the office down. She didn't worry about me running customers off. She didn't worry about me getting the checkbook out and writing checks that I shouldn't have been writing. This was a trust that was returned because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember my brother who played such an important part in my life. My brother died nine years ago. Norman died of cancer. And I was in the hospital to see Norman the day before he died. And Norman never, never gave up faith. He and I t- sat there that day and we talked about going fishing again. And Norman also knew he was dying. Because we, we talked about it. And he, he wasn't afraid. But he, he also never gave up faith. We talked about going fishing. And the nurse walked in the room that day. And Norman was too weak to roll over. And I rolled Norman over and she gave him a shot of morphine in the hip. She left the room and I rolled Norman back over. He looked up at me that day with those big blue eyes of his. He said, Bob, you know, I shouldn't be taking this stuff. You know, I'm an alcoholic and I can get hooked on this. And you know, the next day Norman died. Now, to me, that's the principle of a program in action. When anyone is laying on their deathbed, they're concerned about being getting hooked on morphine. And, you know, I've thought about that many, many times. When Norman talked about how important his sobriety was to him when he was laying on his deathbed. And it's got me through a lot of tough days. Things are not at all perfect in my life. And I have a lot of tough days. Now, I usually make them tough. Because uh, I, I refuse many, many times to accept God's help. I ask God to help me every day, but I don't always accept what God sends me every day. And some days I like to make things tough. I, I, I just can't stand this things running in peace and harmony. Uh, I, I just love sometimes to feel sorry for myself and and, and things go wrong and. Uh, uh, get right back in that old pig pen and wallow in it for a little while, you know. Uh, it just it just makes me feel good because then I can say it's her fault and it's their fault and it's your fault, and, and I'm going about my merry way. And then my sponsor calls or another AA member calls, or I call someone and they tell me about what's happening in my life, and I get right back in the program again and I begin to straighten my life out again. These nine children that Juan and I have, we are, we are so blessed with our nine children. We have seven daughters and two sons. And not a one of them have a drinking or a drug problem. I don't think it's anything that Juan and I have done, but I do think it's something that the program of A.A. Al-Anon and Alateen has done in our lives. Every one of our children come up to Alateen and thank God that they did. If any of them ever do have a drinking problem, at least they know where to go to. And I think maybe these kids are so comfortable in our home, and it is a home now, because we talk very freely about being an alcoholic and being a member of Al-Anon. I talk about it on my job. We talk about it at home. 
AA people are in and out of our house. And thank God it's that way. Al-Anon has been a very, very important part in my life. As I said, it's the thing I think that really guided me in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And on the 9th of November, I will be celebrating 23 years of continued sobriety. That may not mean anything to you, but it's terribly important to me. I'm quite proud of my length of sobriety. I don't think we hear enough about the people who are staying sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we, we hear too much about the rumors about Bill getting drunk and Mary getting drunk before long they're drinking together. I think we should talk more about our success. And I like to talk about it because I'm quite proud of being sober almost 23 years. I think you should be proud of your length of sobriety. And it doesn't make a difference how long it is. They make it difference where it's 15 years or 10 years or 5 years. They make it difference where it's 1 year or whether it's 6 months. But there's probably someone in this room this evening who may have only been sober, you know, maybe one week. There's probably that guy or gal who just may be sober one day. Remember, that day is very important to you because it's the beginning of a new way of life if you'll let it be. These Nine children of ours, and show you how important this Al-Anon program has been in our lives. My oldest daughter was dating a boy who did not understand anything about alcoholism. His mother had been in AA and had not found sobriety. And we took him to an Al-Anon roundup with us. I'll never forget the, the AA and Al-Anon gals getting happy off and talking to him and explaining what this program is all about. And that Saturday afternoon at this AA roundup, he and I went up on the mountain. It's a beautiful cross that's up on the mountain and overlooks through the camp. He sat up there and asked me that day if he could marry my daughter. That's how Alan on this program has touched our lives. They have now given us two grandchildren. These children are really a blessing. I said it, it has turned this responsibility of raising these children around the responsibility that I now enjoy. And to me, that's a fringe benefit. There's so many great things that have come our way all through this program of AA, Al-Anon, and Alateen. We've had several tragedies happen in our lives. One of them, and I can't tell you what it was, but it happened at an Al-Anon roundup, we received a phone call about quite a tragedy in our, it happened in our home. And we had AA and Al-Anon people to share this with. And they loved us right through it. I'd like to close. I'm going to read a letter to my daughter, who is 21 years old now, wrote to her mom and dad. This daughter is quite an athlete. She had an opportunity to play field hockey in our Summer Olympics, and she chose not to because that's the way she wanted it to be. We had spent a lot of money sending her off to camps. She made the team and then decided she didn't, didn't want to play. And 
she was concerned about this, and she wrote this letter to her mom and dad. And what I've been attempting to tell you in the last hour, what this program has done for us, how it has reunited this family, this child has done in what took probably five or ten minutes to do. I think maybe that'll explain to you what AA, Al-Anon, and Alateen means in our lives. It says, Dear Mom and Dad, I want to tell you one more time how much I appreciated the trip to the Olympic Training Center. It's wonderful that you all love me so much to let me experience what I have through hockey camps. To me, home is the most wonderful place. You all have made home to be a place where love is self-existing. I love to just hang around the house because the members of the family are always stopping by to say hello. Our house is like a gathering place, and you all have cultivated that attitude. Hope you are not disappointed in me because of my choice to come home instead of staying for the camp. I thought I did what was best for me. I know I was determined to stay, but it just didn't seem to be the right thing to do. I am very... I am very lucky to have parents like you. You always support me, and that's a great feeling. I can't count the number of times my friends have commented on the love you give me. I hope I give enough love back, because you two always seem to be giving. The two of you are always ready to drop everything when Mary and I take the hockey field. No matter where we travel, it's always topped off by your presence. Excuse me. It's, not, it's so nice to have you all cheer and yell. I hope when I get older and married with kids that I will be able to provide the love and support that you have provided me with. She wrote this to us shortly before we took off for another convention. It says, well, have a nice convention and make sure you send the ones I know my love. Have a safe trip. I love you all very much. See you soon. Love your daughter, Teresa. You know, I have to remember what my sponsor told me. If I want to continue to receive the fringe benefits that come our way in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor told me I could never run the show again. He said, Bob, as long as you remember that and you ask God for help each morning and you thank Him each night, he said, you're going to be able to make it and you're going to have a good day. Thank God Bill told me that. And I've done that for almost 23 years now. When I start each day, 
first thing I do is ask God to help me stay awake my first drink. And ask Him to help me to accept what He gives me that day. I don't always accept what God gives me, but I ask Him every day, and I think that's terribly important. And when I lay my head on that pillow at night, I thank Him for what He has given me that day. When I lay my head on that pillow tonight, I'm going to thank Him for my wonderful wife. I'm going to thank Him for my children, my son-in-laws, my daughter-in-laws. I'm going to thank Him for all the wonderful friends, and for especially for the two beautiful friends that come down here from Lowell, Kentucky, to be with Juan and I this weekend. Thank you very much. If y'all will please remain stand, we'll close this meeting with the Lord's Prayer.